so in that situation what you might find is you'll see a lot of blackish a blackish darkish gray cloud coming out the back of the combine you might see uh blackish uh grayish uh coloration um uh on the harvesting equipment that you can scrape off and and you might be in a situation where you know it's not dry it's not excessively dry so that's not dust Hello everyone and welcome to the Growing Point podcast from Alberta Grains. I'm your host, Jeremy Boychin. Our goal with this podcast is simple, to provide Alberta farmers and agronomists with timely, relevant and valuable agronomic knowledge through interviews with experts in various fields of agriculture. We hope that the agronomic information from this and and other podcasts brings value to you and your farm. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Kelly Turkington, who is a researcher at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada at the Lacombe Research Station. He specializes in pathology and diseases of crops. Uh, So we talk about late season diseases, um, specifically a topic that came up of sooty mold and and what the potential impacts of this might be and what might be some doppelgangers or some some other diseases that may look like sooty molds and, and how producers and agronomists should think about these diseases and maybe what they mean in relation to the entire uh, disease and, and crop management system. Um, so hopefully there's a lot of insight for you to take from this. And thank you for listening to the Growing Point podcast. All right, Dr. Kelly Turkington, thank you for joining me today. Um, we are here to talk about late season diseases. Um, but before we get too far into it, I just, could you introduce yourself, who you are, what you do? I'm sure a lot of our listeners have already heard you on the podcast a couple of times, but just a, an introduction of, of why you can talk about what we're going to talk about today. Excellent, Jeremy. Uh, and no need for the doctor. Yes, I do have a PhD, but uh, Kelly is just fine. So yes, I'm a my name's uh, Kelly Turkington. My first name is actually Thomas, uh, but my mom and dad referred to me by my middle name, Kelly, because my dad's name was Thomas. Um, and I'm a plant pathologist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada uh, in Lacombe, Alberta, uh, working on uh, cereals primarily, but a, occasionally a bit on canola too. So uh, very, uh, uh, I would say, extensive field background, uh, and it's always a pleasure to chat with people like yourself and growers and consultants and so on in terms of disease issues. Well, thanks for being here today, Kelly. And, and you know, this conversation was provoked by an image I was sent uh, a couple weeks ago um, by an agronomist on the ground who was seeing some black kind of growth on the head of their wheat um, and they were, were asking questions of what this might be. Is there a concern in terms of yield and quality? And, um, you know, to me, it looked like sooty mold that kind of gave the impression of that's what we were seeing. Um, but I think, you know, a good conversation about what diseases are we actually going to see late in the fe- in the field on, on our cereal crops, even on our canola crops. Um, and, you know, are they a concern for yield? Are they a concern for quality? Which ones are and which ones aren't? Um, so maybe we could we could start with with you know, do do if we had an image of, of sooty mold, we could pull up and sure. have a yeah, I have will. A chat. What are we seeing when we see that? Um, and 
you know, is it is there potential for that to be an issue in terms of yield and, and quality? Is 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 it something that farmers should be concerned about? So here's a, a sort of a classic example of wheat infected with sooty mold, but you'd see similar types of symptoms uh, in other cereals like barley, oat, and in other broadleaf crops, including canola and and some of the pulses. Uh, and sooty molds are are fungi that are normally saprophytic in nature, so they they normally don't attack uh, a healthy, actively growing plant. Uh, where they're an issue is where something has killed that plant, either prematurely, and it could be an abiotic factor or biotic factor, uh, or it's simply that uh, producer, uh, in terms of harvest, has been delayed due to uh, wet conditions, uh, so they haven't been able to take the crop off uh, uh, as quickly as as they would have liked. So that's, that dead tissue is basically organic matter, and you'll have growth of different fungi and bacteria, and in this case here, it's sooty mold. So it's fungi that attack the dead plant. So they're they're typically not having an impact on yield uh certainly visually they look very concerning it, you know it's quite a dramatic change compared to uh let's say healthy sort of golden brown tissue that you might see um but they're not normally associated with yield loss and and yield loss really is reflective of uh issues that will affect the plant as it's actively growing and it destroys green leaf tissue in the case of cereals that, you know, that tissue captures light energy, you have photosynthesis converting that light, light energy into photosynthates, which then contribute to green filling and yield. So at this stage of the game, if you're seeing this in your field, uh, either in a standing crop or you're seeing it in swaths, it's not causing any yield loss. Uh, so don't worry too, too much about that. Uh, if you're concerned about yield loss, uh, the, the key times to be looking at your crop and assessing uh, what is there and perhaps responding with a fungicide uh, are in mid to late June and then throughout July. So you're really, uh, and especially the first part of July, if we look at pre-harvest intervals, uh, for a lot of the products that are used for leaf spot diseases, rusts, and of course, fusarium head blight. But at this stage, not much of an impact on on yield. However, one issue could be that you get a lot of excessive weathering. You may have some discoloration of the kernels. Uh, and at, when you send that grain into the elevator to be graded, uh, you might see downgrading too to that discoloration, whether it's classified as mildew or or uh, smudge or something along those lines. Uh, and the mildew would be an indication of uh, fungal load on the grain, microbial load, which may have implications for some of the end-use markets. It may impart uh, a uh, a moldy taste uh, to products produced from that grain. Um, also, if you're feed, uh, if you're growing it for feed, uh, there might be some allergenic issues because a lot of these uh, fungi will produce fungal spores, and if there's a lot of them there, it's heavily infected with sooty mold that could cause some um, respiratory issues with with livestock. Probably more so in terms of just sneezing uh, and uh, and so on. The moldy, uh, uh, the extent of mold development may affect the taste. So there may be an impact on palatability 
uh, for the livestock. So, so this is something that um, normally you see uh, uh, at the end of the season. However, if you have a year where, let's say, uh, you have drought conditions, you maybe have areas of the field that are killed due to dry conditions, maybe knolls versus uh, the bottom part of that uh, knoll uh, in the valleys within the field, uh, or where you've had flooding, for instance. So you've had excessive moisture. So you get areas, low areas in the field where the, the plants have died due to that uh, uh, flooding and anaerobic conditions in the soil. So those plants are prematurely ripened. Uh, and as a consequence, again, they're a, a source of organic matter for various uh, organisms to to grow on. So, um, so you might see that in some fields. In most of the field where the plants are growing normally, you don't necessarily see that. You might not see it at the time that you're getting ready to to look at harvesting because conditions have been dry. But if you have a year where you have wet conditions uh, that persist. Uh, you know, in in July, late July, into August, and then into the uh, period where you're looking at starting to harvest, you may see the crop go from a nice golden brown color to a dusty gray, dusty black coloration. And that is typically um, representative of these sooty molds. So from from my understanding... In which you've explained it's it's really the wet conditions and the dead material that's that's really pushing this along and yes you know, you're talking i'm thinking about okay in a situation where maybe we have a high risk of fusarium headlight and we're seeing large infection um there may be a desire to <clears throat> to manage parts of the field or fields differently due to quality impacts or marketability impacts have you ever seen anything like a sooty mold maybe require that level of management or is it generally not causing that kind of impact? Um, normally it, it would be fairly widespread throughout the field. So if you haven't had issues with uh, flooding or maybe uh, extreme drought and heat stress, uh, normally the whole field would turn that that dusty black, dusty gray color. And, and so the opportunity to selectively harvest in that situation uh, uh, may be a concern. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, in terms of end use markets, uh, producer may want to look at getting the grain, harvested grain tested to see what's there. And especially look for things like mycotoxins just to rule those out. Cause that might then open up some opportunities to move that into the feed market, depending on on the livestock species and so on. Uh, if it's excessively weathered, lots of sooty mold, uh, that may downgrade it. Uh, so it may move from a number one CWRS to a number two. Uh, I don't know if there's a lot of production beyond a number three, but that may have an impact. Uh, and if, depending on what is available to the, the elevator or grain companies, they may have a choice of crop different crop types. So they may have the luxury of being able to select crops that haven't had this issue. Whereas maybe in an environment like 2016, where a lot of widespread issues with a wet finish to the year, wet in the fall, delayed harvest, sometimes even till the spring. Uh, in that situation, they may have no choice but to look at maybe fields that have less uh, weathering, less mildew, downgrading, uh, and and uh, and so on. Uh, 
uh, you'll certainly avoid crops where it's excessively high. Now, that being said, if you have a field where you have distinct areas in the field uh, where you've had premature um, <clears throat> death of the plant and sooty mold development, and that death could be sometime in in early to mid July to late July. Uh, so something like let's say like take all would would be a a disease or a biotic factor that could cause that, but flooding could be too. So in that situation, there may be some benefit to harvesting that area of the field separately if the producer has the capacity to do that, uh, the storage capacity and and the time uh, to do that. That that certainly would help. Um, you know, in terms of management tools, we're really restricted or very limited for sooty mold because you're really at the mercy of mother nature and what the moisture conditions are like, especially. Now, if it turns cold and it's close to zero or be below zero, then, you know, wet conditions may not necessarily promote a lot of sooty mold mold development because these fungi need reasonable temperatures to grow so in many cases you're looking at probably a minimum of maybe 10 degrees c uh and higher and if it's really cool uh even though let's say you have some moisture it just may be too cool for the these things uh to develop but the tools that we have are limited certainly as best you can timely harvesting uh get into the field get it off uh, now that may or may not be possible, uh, in terms of a strategy there, uh, maybe as you say, selective harvesting, uh, of areas of the field where you have less or no sooty mold problems, and that may help to improve grade. It may help to improve your options or expand your options in terms of where you market that green. Yep. You know, even even in the situation where, let's say, a farmer just didn't mm -hmm. want to um, try and segregate as best as they could uh, sooty mold infected wheat and um, and non, would there be considerations around storage? Uh, is this is this going to continue to potentially proliferate, or because that grain is alive, it, it, you know, is there is there any considerations there? I guess. That's a great question, Jeremy, and and it relates to to storage issues. And the the big thing there would be the moisture content at the time of harvesting, and then the need to perhaps look at aeration or grain drying to limit uh, subsequent fungal growth. So um, you can have other fungi that are present, uh, and these fungi are the ones that are responsible for aflatoxin. That's aspergillus or different species of aspergillus or okra toxin, which is penicillium. Those are storage molds. They're, they're ubiquitous. They're routinely found in the field. But they don't typically cause a lot of problem, but they're on, on the grain as it goes into the, the, the bin. And if your moisture contents are, are, are elevated, you know, maybe, you know, you're well above 15 to 18% uh, moisture, then if you don't aerate that, uh, uh, in a timely fashion or, or dry it, there could be potential for fungal growth because you have that moisture there. And, um, uh, and I would be more concerned about some of these uh, species like penicillium and aspergillus. Those are the ones that I think the, the Grain Trade and Great Canadian Grain Commission and other organizations looking at grain quality are, are probably more concerned about. Um, you know, there could be some sooty, further sooty 
mold development, but again, the, the main impact there based on the species that you normally see would be more on uh, maybe giving it more of a moldy flavor, maybe palatability uh, and, and so on. But yeah, certainly grain storage and uh, monitoring your moisture contents and uh, taking steps if you have issues where you know you maybe had to harvest a bit tough, uh, a bit on the tough side that you make sure you try and get that grain dried down as soon as possible. So standard practice of getting that grain dried yeah. down to an appropriate level. Yes. For, okay. You know, and then then you start to ask the question. Okay, we've we've walked through sooty mold. What else could be popping up in the field that could resemble this or, or, or disease late in the field that could be on, on wheat or, or barley or oats or anything um, like that? That's a good, a good question. And in, in general, it's fairly limited. Most of the diseases of concern, whether those issues that are related to yield loss uh, and grain filling uh, or uh, let's say head issues like the smuts, the bunts uh, and um uh, uh, fusarium head blight. Normally those would be visible and readily detectable. Uh, leaf spots certainly well before head emergence. Fusarium head blight typically uh, two weeks probably post head emergence if you have had conditions for infection uh, and, a, and an oculum of the fusarium fungus around. Um, at head emergence, you might see evidence of, of loose smut, which we we saw some of that in 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 some fields this past summer, uh, and normally those heads, those loose mud infected plants, the heads will emerge before the rest of the crop, so the fungus is getting ready the path, loose mud pathogen to release its teliospores so that then uh, they can infect the newly emerging cereal heads. Um, uh, you know other things like covered smut, for instance. Um, <clears throat> And uh, things like bunt, uh, you may be able to see those in the field, but they wouldn't necessarily impart uh, this extensive sort of dusty grayish, dark gray, blackish discoloration. However, at harvest, what will happen is during the thrashing operation, uh, the combine will break apart those uh, uh bunt affected kernels so basically you get a thin sort of remnant of the seed coat most of what's there is actually uh, uh, spores of the of the bunt fungus very similar with covered smut uh, it doesn't release its spores until the harvesting operation so in that situation what you might find is you'll see a lot of blackish a blackish darkish gray cloud coming out the back of the combine you might see uh, blackish uh, grayish uh, coloration um, uh, on the harvesting equipment that you can scrape off. And, and you might be in a situation where, you know, it's not dry, it's not excessively dry, so that's not dust. And I, I can I can give you an example of that um, in terms of uh, a different issue. So let me pull this up here. And that was uh, at uh, Beaver Lodge. So we'll just... Uh, Share my screen here. So this picture here uh, is actually uh, a layer of alternaria spores. So alternaria black spot in canola. It was a Polish canola field. 
It had sulfur deficiency, which can lead to increased problems with black spot and canola, especially the Polish types of canola. Uh, the, the ground was actually fairly damp, so it wasn't dry. So this is a layer of spores. So it, it's really, um, from a pathologist's point of view and someone who's taken a number of mycology courses, it's it's quite interesting, the, the potential spore-producing capacity of these fungi as they're growing on plant tissue. So you might see this in a heavily infected field. Now, fortunately, the chances of that occurring in our current production systems and the varieties that we have, if we're looking at bunt or, or covered smut, are usually fairly low. We, we've had a concerted effort over the last century to develop strategies to mitigate or control those the big one being variety resistance so a lot of effort with breeders and pathologists to develop varieties that are resistant to bunt resistant to covered smut so you normally wouldn't see that now no maybe our grandfathers or great great grandparents might have seen that uh in the past but normally we wouldn't typically see that unless you had a field that was maybe uh, planted to a variety that was highly, highly susceptible, which is usually, you know, with the variety choices that we have now, fortunately, uh, most of the varieties will have some level of either reduced susceptibility or intermediate resistance or even a, a very high level of resistance. So the likelihood of a producer seeing something like this in Western Canada is relatively low. No. It was like... If a producer does see this, what they what should they be doing? Uh, <laughs> well, they might be needing to change their clean the air filter on the on the particular piece of equipment more often to prevent overheating. Uh, obviously, being uh, cognizant that these things can cause allergenic responses, uh, so it'd be like grain dust. And as a, I think as a. Uh, a first or second year University of Saskatchewan egg scientist, I participated in a, in a grain dust study. They wanted to survey individuals that had been shoveling grain the old fashioned way by hand and, and uh, uh, what safety equipment they wore. Like usually dad had us wear paper masks or uh, charcoal canistered masks when we were in. Uh, so, it, you know, that's something that you want to be cognizant about, uh, you know, take note of it uh, and, you know, obviously, if it ends up being, uh, let's say, a lot of sooty mold in the field, you might see this type of material on your equipment. Uh, there's really not much you can do other than, you know, hopefully the next growing season and the next crop of the same type, you can look at more timely harvesting, of course, uh, if Mother Nature allows. Um, you know, if it's something related to uh, covered smut or or bunt so you're you're seeing the crop in general doesn't have a lot of what we would call sooty mold development um but the harvested grain has a bit of a dusty appearance to it to it and often you'll see that uh then uh you may want to look at maybe switching varieties ensuring that you're using a seed treatment that has those issues on its label uh, and, and so on, because certainly the covered smut uh, and uh, the bunt can cause some issues because that dis dusty discoloration can perhaps lead to downgrading. Uh, the other issue with bunt, though, is the, the 
the pathogen does at times impart a bit of a fishy odor to that grain. So obviously making bread or other types of products with that, uh, the customer obviously wouldn't like to have a, a loaf of bread that has a bit of a fishy odor to it. Uh, not obviously very desirable. So, so yeah. So I, walking down, go ahead. I think it was it was research station down in in Lethbridge, and they had a, a bunt nursery there, and getting that first smell of, of bunt when you pop that kernel open, and it's not the smell you expect, but uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is a bold smell. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that would be Reem, my colleague Reem at Kabuka Hadar at, at uh, Lethbridge. So yeah, it it's uh, you know, and unfortunately, with a lot of these late season issues, uh, once the crop has started to mature, uh, the strategies that you have available are limited. Uh, you know, obviously, again, emphasizing the importance of timely harvesting, perhaps selective harvesting, depending on the pattern that you see within the field. And then if you do identify that you have had issues with diseases like covered smut or, or bunt, looking at what options you have available, especially in terms of variety resistance, fungicide use, uh, and so on. And certainly if you have a lot of those issues, covered smut or, or bunt, uh, or even loose smut, depending on the level that you're seeing, uh, you may need may want to consider looking at a different seed source uh, for the next year. So you know, we've kind of covered some of the, 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 the dark black and, and gray colored yeah. diseases that we see in cereals, you know, are these akin to what we might see in canola? Are we seeing symptomology like this in canola as well? Or is this specifically cereals? That's no, more- I, I think in general over the years, certainly in, in canola that stood out in the field, uh, either they're looking at direct harvesting or if it's sat in a swath, uh, if you have moist conditions and, you know, temperatures that are reasonable, so it's not close to freezing or below freezing, uh, then you could see some development of these sooty molds um, uh, in the crop. So the crop turns from that nice sort of golden brown, tanny colored, golden tan colored appearance uh, to this more of a dusty, dark gray, uh, dusty black appearance due to the, the growth of the sooty mold fungi. Is it easily distinguishable between that and say black leg or like, is there any potential for confusion there with, with some other common diseases? Um, That's an excellent question because if you're seeing a lot of sooty mold, something's happened to that crop. Now, if it's at the end of the season, once the crop has started to senesce off and you get wet conditions that delay harvest in that situation, uh, likely, uh, it's just reflective of the fact that you've got dead plant tissue available. But if it's something you start to see a little earlier, so the main part of the crop, let's say healthier areas are still green, you're not seeing a lot of evidence, but you're seeing areas of the field where the plant is is prematurely dying, that would be very important to go out to those patches, let's say, in the field. It could be, in the case of canola, it could be a club root. Uh, in, infection in that particular area, given that soil borne could be take all. 
in in cereals. Uh, it could be that you've got uh, maybe an area in the field where you've got a bit more black leg developing, which is prematurely ripened some of the plants, and uh, maybe the resistance genes in your canola variety for black leg are are no longer effective because the pathogen has shifted to a different pathotype. So, so yes, it's very important to look at those plants. I would definitely pull the plants up, look at the root system, see what's happening there, look at the stem bases. And, and um, you know, I can give you a bit of an example of, of that. Uh, uh, let me just pull up another picture here. Um, and here we have an example of some take all. Uh, and this is from a field south of Edmonton around the Leduc Wetaskiwin area. Yeah. From a few years ago, I won't say when, I want to give my away my age. Maybe late nineties. Kelly, I can't but, see the image. I don't know if it's on the wrong oh, screen or. Okay, stop. Let me just reshare it then. Uh, there we go. It goes to specific uh, uh, pages. Actually, it's quite interesting. So, can you see that now? You no, know, that's perfect. I can see it now. Yeah. So, so what we're seeing uh, is take all. Uh, uh, the fungus when it attacks the plant and it'll become established earlier in the season uh, and then will develop. Uh, and then if the extent of take-all development is, is fairly significant, it will greatly compromise that plant's ability to take up water and nutrients. So the plant will prematurely ripen. So in the case of the picture here, uh, we're seeing a charcoal black discoloration of the base of the plant. Uh, and if you pull that plant up, it typically will pull out of the, the ground very easily. And I'll show you an example of what I mean by that. Uh, and um, so the plant will prematurely ripen. Now, if conditions are dry, maybe cooler, you may not necessarily see a lot of sooty mold development. So the, the crop itself, the dead plants certainly, and you can have broad areas of the crop if it's a really severe take-all issue. Uh, showing symptoms, uh, but you may not necessarily see any evidence of sooty mold yet. However, the longer that dead plant stays in the field, and if you have moisture and reasonable temperatures, it'll go from that nice golden brown color uh, to a, a this dusty gray, dark gray, blackish coloration due to sooty mold. So um, maybe I'll try and pull up uh, just a, a an example of that. Just bear with me here. So here's an example uh, example of some severe take all symptoms. So visually, what you'll see is blackish discoloration of the base of the plant. The entire plant will be prematurely ripened. There may be some stunting. Uh, if the take all is established early in the season and continues to develop, often what you'll find is very limited. Uh, grain filling and, and and seed sets. So you rub those heads on those dead plants and there'll be there won't be any grain or very shriveled grain. And the reason for that, and as the name implies, is the tickle fungus will really destroy the root system. So in this case here, what you're left with is the crown tissue, the subcrown uh, and, and the stem base. Most of the anchoring root tissue has been destroyed by the take-all fungus. So those plants actually pull out of the ground extremely easily. Uh, and you'll see, again, typically charcoal discoloration of the crown tissue, maybe 
the base of the stem and certainly any other root tissue that remains. And you'll often see uh, very limited or little to no secondary root tissue. So again, uh, plant can't take up the water and nutrients it needs. So it prematurely dies. And then if you have moist conditions that occur in reasonable temperatures, that dead plant will then move from a, a sort of a golden brown color to this dusty dark gray or blackish coloration. That's interesting. So yeah, and you, and and I might add, you can you can see the same thing with other issues that affect the plant. So uh, if you have a really severe common root rot problem, uh, if you have a crown rot, which uh, is a fungal disease caused by a number of different fusarium species that will infect the root <laughs> tissue, the crown tissue, and move up to the stem and a little bit up the stem. Uh, that may cause the plant to prematurely ripen. And if it's root disease related, the whole plant will prematurely ripen. In contrast, if you look at things like wheat stem maggot, for instance, what you'll find is uh, up to the point of the insect feeding damage on that main stem or a tiller, the tissue will be green other than normal senescence. You know, let's say if it's in late July, early August, the lower leaves may be already senesced off, but the the other leaves will be green. The stem tissue will be green up to the point of that feeding damage. And then the rest of the plant, you know, the, the stem, uh, the peduncle, the head tissue will be prematurely ripened. Uh, and again, similar to take all, if you have moist conditions that occur after that and that tissue is dead, these saprophytic organisms, including the sooty moles, will start to actively colonize that. So that's a differentiation that would indicate that it's not a root disease. Uh, and the nice thing about wheat stem maggot is if you take that head and you just pull gently up, it'll pull out of the plant very easily. And then if you look at the 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 uh, lower part of the stem, uh, you'll obviously see some feeding damage. There might be some discoloration because again, that dead tissue, you'll start to get all sorts of bacteria and fungi colonizing it, which are not necessarily pathogens, but more saprophytic organisms. So the, I mean, I went into this conversation trying to get an idea, okay, you know, sooty mold, what's the impact? What what could we, we be interpreting it as, it as it as? But I think something that I've, I've you know, listening to you talk about some of the um, secondary reasons why or the reasons why we're seeing some of these sooty molds is, is really it could be a red flag or a flag for a producer or an agronomist to dig a little bit further into, you know, why am I seeing sooty mold here? If it is, if it is field wide, then it could be just environmental conditions after normal maturation. But if it is patchy if you're seeing it in areas then likely something is accelerating your uh, your maturity or causing that plant to die off early um, and it could be your red flag to maybe dig a little bit deeper in that area and see if there might be something a little bit more insidious that could be impacting your quality your yield your field absolutely and and that's a very important uh, point jeremy and and uh, the key thing will be timely scouting of the field and not delaying going in to look at the field. Because if you wait until the crop is mature and let's say you see sooty mold, it may be very difficult 
to diagnose the issue that's there unless you've got some very characteristic symptoms. So in the case of take all, you could pull plants up, you'd see the root system has been destroyed and so on. But for other issues, um, let's say leaf spot issues, let's say you have a very severe stripe rust epidemic and you can get yield losses of stripe due to stripe rust if it arrives in the crop well before head emergence and the start of grain filling, you can see yield losses upward of 90%. So that plant would be killed. Uh, by the time you look at it, if you're seeing sooty mold, uh, the 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 stripe rust fungus would have released all of its uretospores, those sort of yellow-orange spores that are very diagnostic that you'd see on, on living uh, leaves of, of that uh, cereal crop. Uh, and then once those are gone, sometimes it can be difficult. Uh, you might look at it and think, well, it's cereal leaf beetle perhaps or so on. Uh, there's a few things that you can key in on uh, there. Um, but yeah, so, you know, timely scouting of that field. Uh, and if you're starting to see something happening, especially in July, where areas of the field or even individual plants are starting to 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 die off, then the question is, okay, what's causing that? And looking at the above ground plant parts, and I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes I'll go into a field and I will not pull up the, and look at the roots. So that's another part of, of the, the plant that I think is important to look at uh, and see if there's any evidence of any issues. Take all dark charcoal black, common root rot, typically a brown to a dark brown coloration. Uh, and maybe less uh, uh, root destruction compared to take all. You don't necessarily see the same extent of root destruction with common root rot uh, in cereals as you do with take all. Kelly, this has been um, very informative. I appreciate all your expertise on this. Probably going to have to to end this before it extends to yes. but I, I know <clears throat> uh, the Prairie Crop Disease Monitoring Network does have a website that that um, would potentially have some of the visuals that we've talked about. Yes. Um, otherwise, uh, some of the images that you pulled up today will add into the show notes so uh, people sure. listening can poke through after. Um, but I greatly appreciate your time and, and I'm sure we'll be chatting again here soon. Is there anything else you want to finish with before we close off here, Kelly? No, uh, thanks for mentioning the Prairie Crop Disease Monitoring Network. That's uh, something that we're into our second phase now. And what I'm excited about is that uh, we're starting to see the funding flowing and we have a lot more collaborators uh, versus the first phase. So uh, we'll be uh, working hard here this fall and winter to to uh, ramp up some of the technology transfer uh, um, items that are on the blog that we have and, and certainly uh, 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 working towards next spring and summer as far as some timely information for growers and consultants. Yeah, absolutely. A, a, a fantastic resource for, for producers and, and agronomists out there. So if you haven't taken a look, go take a look. Uh, and it's a nice compliment to the producer group. Lots of excellent, excellent technology transfer fact sheets and so on from the producer groups, some of the provincial governments and so on. So, yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yes. Thank you, Jeremy. Take care.